0: being told they have to choose one of two really bad options but more and more i think you all agree with this followers of jesus feel painted into a corner right more and more we're we're feeling this exact type of pressure last week uh, pastor adam preached on forming a biblical worldview right he used verses three and four of first timothy one to help us this and he said that a biblical worldview is one that is centered on jesus Right, a biblical worldview is one that is consistent with the teachings of the Bible. A biblical worldview is one that is conditioned by faith, right, which means you don't just say that you believe it's true, you actually try to line up your life with it. And a biblical worldview ultimately has a great concern for others. And it was one of the better sermons I've ever heard. Uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to straight up ask you now, if you didn't catch it, I'm, I'm asking you this week to take time to go find it, uh, because it really will shape a lot of the framework that we do in First Timothy. But there was one point in which he mentioned a verse in First Timothy chapter 2, and he kind of smiled in my direction, and he said, that'll just have to be a fun one that we'll have to address when we get to it, meaning there's going to be some controversy to it. And me sitting there, I thought, man, that's not even in the top five of uh, verses I'm worried about in First Timothy, right? Because uh, I mentioned to you part of why I'm excited to go through this letter with you is the context of that Timothy is serving Jesus in a really difficult place. Right? This, this, this letter is about serving Jesus in the hard places. And in it, Paul is instructing Timothy how to teach this church, how to lead this church, how to shepherd this church. And a lot of what Timothy is going to be called to would be incredibly countercultural for his day. Right? None of this would be widely accepted and celebrated in Ephesus. In fact, uh, Adam mentioned to you that when he's 80 years old, Timothy is stoned to death by the people of Ephesus. Right? So that is his culture. That is his context. And and this isn't that different for us. When we go through these letters, you're going to find a lot of things that are really encouraging and really uplifting and really helpful truths. And they're going to be like a balm for our soul. They're going to inspire us and encourage us. And there's going to be a lot of verses that are really hard to swallow. On on first exposure to them, it'll be like, whoa, what, what is that about? And the reason why is because we don't hear them anywhere else in our world. And they might speak directly against our own feelings and desires. They might speak directly against things that we have decided to be right or true. They might speak against the loudest voices in our culture. And what I want us to do together as a church is uncover how helpful and encouraging and good and gracious those verses are too. But in order for us to do that, it's going to take a gracious, humble approach to the scriptures together. And I say that because more and more, a biblical worldview is under attack. And even recognizing that, I, I want us as a church together to, to push back on a phrase I keep hearing. Right? I keep reading about this. I keep hearing people say this. And this is the phrase that I hear, that there is an assault on Christian ethics. Right? And I just don't like that term. The term I'm talking about is Christian ethics. Right? Because the term Christian ethics implies that we Christians came up with them. Right? And I'm going to remind you several times when we go through First Timothy, I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to look at you and be like, by the way, I didn't write it. I I didn't originate with me. And I don't want you to ever, I don't want you to ever believe or feel that Christian ethics are under attack. Because, right, that will make it feel like you're under attack. And whenever we get really defensive, whenever we take things personally, we're, we're not doing much good for the gospel. You need to know this distinction. The Bible is not full of Christian ethics. Here's what it's full of. It's full of God's good And perfect and gracious design for human flourishing. It came from him. It's not ours. These are his standards. This is the creator knowing better than any of us how he created us. It is showing us his design for life and purpose and ethics and morals and more. It's not ours. It's his. And he was gracious enough to give it to us. And Paul, writing to Timothy, knew that some in Ephesus are going to try to push Timothy into a corner. And make this decision. Either you will love me. Which means inherently you support every single thing that I do. Or you will be bigoted and prejudiced against me by sticking to God's design. So either you stick with God or you will love me. And more and more those are the options that we are being presented in our day. Either you care about what God says or you care about people. And you can't do both. And Paul writing to Timothy says, you know what? We're not going to choose between those two. We're going to reject the premise outright. It's Jonah Hill saying, are those my only two options? Because they're not. After all, we follow Jesus, who we're told this about him in John chapter 1. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father. Listen to this. Full of grace and truth. Not or truth. Full of both grace and truth. So I can assure you today, Christian, that you never have to choose. You never have to choose between love and truth. You never have to choose between grace and truth. You never have to choose between following God and loving others. In fact, you better not choose because both are required. And to let go of either truth or grace or truth or love, the results would be devastating. So Today we're going to turn our attention uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And the reason so is I felt that our current pace of two verses for a week was just too torrid and we couldn't keep up with it, all right? And so we're going to look at just verse five today. And in this verse, we're gonna, Paul's going to remind Timothy the heart behind ministry and instruction. And so I'm going to invite Chris Mathis forward to read to you First uh, Timothy chapter one verse five. Find that in the Bibles that you have, and if you're physically capable, would you please stand with him for the reading of God's word? Good morning, Chris. Good morning. So First Tim- Timothy uh, one verse five. The goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. All right. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. I think you'll agree by the time we get to the end of this, there's enough there in one verse to spend an entire Sunday on it. All right. And so there's three, there's three main truths I want to pull out from verse 5 for you this morning. And the first is simply this, that teaching was one of Timothy's main duties as a shepherd. Okay, if you have, if you, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Timothy, you can flip over. You'll see the next uh, letter is 2 Timothy. The one after that is Titus. These three letters are known are what is known as the pastoral epistles. They are letters that Paul wrote to pastors. And they are shorter than a lot of the letters he wrote to churches. But even in their brevity, I want you to know there are 32 times in the original languages, there are 32 references to either doctrine, teacher, or teaching. Right? It's, it's the main theme that runs throughout all three letters and one of the because one of the greatest callings on a shepherd of God's flock is teaching right and it's not just teaching it's teaching and equipping others and training others to teach as well and so I want to show this chart for you that we can we can kind of show you the breakdown that we're going to see in these letters uh you see this pattern play out in their life and in ch- verse 11 of chapter 1 we'll get there uh in in a, in a short time uh the, Paul says that the gospel was entrusted to him all right, so Jesus Christ entrusted the gospel, the good news, this right teaching to Paul. By the time we get to the end of 1 Timothy, he's going to remind Timothy, I took that deposit and I entrusted it to you. All right, so this, this good news of Jesus, these right teachings, I took what was in, deposited in me and I invested it into you. By the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 1, he's going to remind him Timothy, your main, one of your main jobs is to guard and keep and protect and preserve that good deposit. Right, you need to protect the right teaching in God's church. Why Paul left Timothy in Ephesus is because false teachers have come in and made a mess of things. Now when you get to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy 2, he's going to remind Timothy, now your job, you, you've, you've got the deposit, you're teaching, you're proclaiming it, your job is to find other faithful people to give them the deposit that they may teach others as well. It's a pretty simple formula, but that has passed from Paul to Timothy to the elders at Ephesus to every generation until us in this room Right, the gospel has been preserved all the way till the current time. There is no greater gift to the human race than the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And so, very chief, the top of Timothy's list was not just to proclaim it, but to guard it, to fight for it, to keep it, to preserve it, and then train others to proclaim it, guard it, fight it, keep for it, keep it, preserve it, and then train others to do the same. It goes on and on and on and on because the threat of false teachers has been ever present. And the stakes are just too high. And by the way, that wasn't Paul's view. That was God's. Look what we find in in, in James 3. James puts it bluntly. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Can you be simultaneously incredibly grateful for a verse and terrified by it at the same time? Because that is my relationship with this verse, right? Teaching has always been an incredibly important part of Christian ministry. It's why everything that you do around here, everything that we do, everything you come to, the the instruction of the word of God will be involved. There are two purposes of Christian instruction. Number one is like all instruction, it's just to inform, to enlighten. Romans 10 puts it this way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't you love that promise? Everybody who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But then Paul starts asking questions. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher or teacher or witness? Let's not overcomplicate this. Every single person who's in this room today who's a follower of Jesus, you believe because somebody told you the good news. Right? Somebody taught you that you were a sinner. Somebody taught you that God was perfect and holy and that he demands a payment for sin. Somebody taught you that Jesus Christ came and took on our form and died in the cross in our place to pay the price for sins and rose again. Somebody taught you that he was the only one who could save you and give you eternal life. You called on him because you believed in him. You believed because you heard about him. You heard because God revealed himself to you through the words of another human being. One of the purposes of biblical teaching is to inform you of the truths that can change your life. Right? To enlighten you as to who God is. As to who you are. As to what his design is for your flourishing. As to what your biggest need is. As to what your purpose is and more. You need to know these things. So we enlighten. We inform. The second purpose of Christian teaching is to nourish. If you have First Timothy over and flip with me on a page over to chapter 4. And I want you to see this little phrase in chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul writes to Timothy, if you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And listen to this, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Nourished, right? The teachings of the truth of the Bible are life-giving. I want you to understand that, the truths of the Bible are nutrients for our soul. They feed the abundant life that has been made available to us in Jesus. And yes, some go down sweet and others taste like radishes. But the goal of all of them is to nourish, to feed, and to enrich your life. So the purpose of Christian teaching is to inform and to nourish. But the goal, the goal we find in verse 5, the goal is love. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the goal of our instruction is love. That seems pretty straightforward, but it's pretty powerful because there's a lot in the Bible that is hard to hear. There's a lot in the Bible that, at is first read, first exposure. It goes against our feelings. It goes against our desires because, again, human beings didn't write this. It's, it's the word of the Lord. It goes against popular culture. It goes against popular thought. But love does not sacrifice truth at the altar of feelings. I want you to hear that again. Love does not sacrifice truth at the altar of feelings. And why not? Because you have to consider the implications. Romans chapter 1 puts it this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You take that and stack on top of it John 14. Where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me which really narrows the list down, does it? And then you take that and you stack it on top of Colossians 1, that he is before all things and by him all things hold together. And so I want you to think with me for just a second. If there is a powerful, sovereign, all-knowing creator God who is before all things and by his power holds all things together, who knit us together in our mother's womb, then wouldn't lining up with his design and his standards lead to the best life possible, even if it meant we had to overcome ourselves to do so? It would. That's why John Piper says most of the Bible is only understood once you obey it. And then secondly, and most importantly, if we all owe that all-powerful, sovereign creator God a debt that we cannot pay due to our sin, and he made a way for that debt to be paid, he made a way for us to be saved, he made a way for us to experience eternal life, but we hold back on sharing that way because we want to keep relational peace with other people, that is caring so very little about other people. It is an incredibly selfish posture. It is not loving them at all. The goal of Christian truth, the goal of Christian teaching, the goal of Christian instruction is love. And it must remain love. And what cannot be included in that is an ounce of joy in being right and seeing others being wrong. What cannot be included in that is an ounce of superiority or pride. Our instruction, our teaching, our influence must be fueled by God, by love for God, and a love and deep concern for others. There's hard stuff coming in this book. I'm I'm warning you now. But we're not going to skip it. We're going to lean right into it. We're going to teach it. We're going to share it. And the reason why is because we love you and we genuinely want what's best for you. And Paul reminded Timothy here the heart behind all instruction is love. And he says that love comes from three different sources. Look at verse 5 again. The goal of our instruction is love that comes from number one, a pure heart, number two, a good conscience, and number three, a sincere faith. He lists for you three sort of origins of the love that, that fuels instruction. Number one is this, a pure heart. And what you need to know about what the Bible teaches about a pure heart is that it's only possible in Jesus Christ. Because our heart has been so stained by sin, this is not, we are not capable of this, right? We cannot make our own heart pure. It is only a heart that has been touched by the grace and forgiveness of God. A pure heart is a heart that is fully aware of its own sin and fully aware of the source of its salvation, which is the grace of Jesus. A pure heart genuinely wants what is best for other people, even at the cost of self. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul is going to write, To his young protege and warn him of people teachers who tell people what he says quote what their itching ears want to hear and i can assure you that's a whole lot easier path and when you tell people what their itching ears want to hear you get a lot more popular you get a lot less angry emails but it is not loving not in the slightest and it does not come from a pure heart second source of love is a good conscience, right? This is a big theme for Paul. He refers to the conscience 21 different times in his letters in the New Testament, six in Timothy and Titus alone. Right, your conscience is that, it's that inner judge who accuses us when we've done wrong and approves us when we've done right. In Titus 1, Paul writes that we can actually corrupt and defile our conscience by repeatedly sinning against it. 1 uh, Timothy 4, he's going to speak of those who've seared their conscience. It means they've, they've, they've actually hardened their conscience by repeatedly ignoring it. This is what is required to do false teaching again and again and again. But listening to your conscience as it is guided by the Holy Spirit and being free and at peace with it, this comes from having the foundational goal of loving others. Because when you love others, you do not have to compromise on either truth or grace. Therefore, when, you, when you're teaching from the starting point of love, right, it does not violate your conscience because it does not require you violating truth. The goal of instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and lastly, from a sincere faith. That Greek word for sincere is antiprakatau, which literally means anti-hypocritical. A sincere heart is a heart of sincerity. It really believes, it's a heart that really believes that God knows best. It's hard to take no pleasure in being right and, and lording over others being wrong, but they, they truly believe that the teacher and the hearer are better off the more we line up with God's good and gracious design and standards. And there are all kinds of people who teach truth, and I leave love behind and it's just insincere. There are all kinds of people who sacrifice truth and they corrupt their conscience. There are all kinds of people who tell others what their itching ears want to hear. And I do so out of an impure heart and motives. But only in Jesus Christ, only through his Holy Spirit, only with the power of his word can you actually check all three of these boxes. Only through Jesus that it's possible. Which is why I want to give you full permission this morning. That if we ever start teaching unbiblical truths around here, you either get rid of us or you leave. And secondly, I'm just as serious about this. If we ever start teaching biblical truth in unbiblical and unloving ways, you either get rid of us or leave. Love that comes from these three things, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, they must remain the goal of our teaching, of our instruction, and our influence. Now, I understand that not all of you are preachers, and that all of you are teachers, and not all of you are group leaders. In fact, the Bible says that many of you shouldn't be. And so the question I have that I want you to wrestle with this morning is, what do you do with this? How how does this verse change your outlook and your mindset as you get up tomorrow morning and you head to school or work or whatever your Monday holds? Well, there's three things that I want you to consider this morning for that. Number one is simply this. I want you to embrace your current roles as instructor. Now, here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to promote yourself. I'm not asking you to desire to be a teacher if God isn't asking you to be a teacher yet. I won't read James 3 again, but I would if you need that. But what I'm asking you to do is to recognize all the different ways that you instruct already. If you're a parent, do you know that you are constantly teaching? Whether you want to or not, you're teaching 24 hours a day. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be constantly teaching and emulating and witnessing. If you're a spouse, and when you have conversations with your spouse, if you're a friend, if you're a coach, if you're any way that you're an influencer, I want you to take the time to think about and recognize how many people in your life actively search out your input. Because you have some. Now, I'll give you this warning. Social media might have convinced you that more people want your opinion than are asking for it, and I can assure you that's not the case, okay? But actively, actually think about how many people in my life are actively looking for my input because you have influence. Multiple times a day you're wielding that influence. Multiple times a day you're instructing and you're teaching whether you realized it or not. What I'm asking you to do is realize it. Because when you realize it, then you can embrace it. Then you can utilize it. Then you can understand the purpose behind it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, You are trying to inform and enrich other people's lives. That's called being the salt and light of the earth. So do not punt on this. You know truth. You've experienced grace in its fullest form. Let both of them flow from you freely. And never forget that the goal is love. The goal is love, which is why the second thing I want you to do this morning is simply this, to just invite the Lord's inspection. This is, this is what I mean by this, right? I want you to think about all those times you actually step out and take that risk. Because anytime you share an opinion, by the way, that's taking a risk. Right? Whenever you do share an opinion, what is your actual motivation for doing so? Right? Whenever you try to influence somebody, what, why are you doing that? How is it that you disagree with others, right? How is it that you give witness to the character of Jesus in those disagreements? How is it that you teach? How is it that you inform is your heart pure in all of that? Are you doing it for reasons that will be honoring to the Lord? Or if cut to their core, would they be more selfish? Is your conscience clean? How about this? How do you feel about the truth that, the God, that God knows intimately about every single one of your conversations? Whether they be in person, face-to-face, online, via text, however. Do you feel like he'd be good with your goals in those conversations? That he be good with your heart, with how you're representing him and all of them? Is your faith sincere in all those areas? Have you truly rid yourself of, of pride for reasons for what you do share and what you don't share? Man, I can't answer those questions for you. Only the Lord can answer those questions for you. Only he can do this in your life. But we've already seen this morning how seriously he takes teachings and influence and instruction. We've already seen how seriously he takes how we represent him. So invite his inspection. Seek his wisdom into your heart and motivation and reasons behind sharing what you do and not sharing what you don't. And then lastly, always remember this. That the love of God and others rules the day. There's a reason that Jesus hung all the Old Testament in these two commands. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. We love God by standing with him in sincere faith. We love him by obeying and submitting to his good will and design. We love him by pursuing him in his word and through worship. And we love others by recalling how far we've had to come. We love others by never forgetting how much grace that we needed and been shown and genuinely wanting that grace for them. And it's really this simple, guys. If we genuinely love and want the best for others, it will come through. It will be undeniable. But if we have not loved, Then to borrow Paul's phrase in 1 Corinthians 13, we'll be nothing but a clanging cymbal. We'll be a loud, annoying nuisance in someone's ears. If we don't care about others, they won't care what we have to say. This is why we love God, we love people, and we reach the world because you cannot reach the world without those first two in place. So I want you to imagine, man, your freedom, the freedom that comes with not having to choose between truth and love. The freedom that comes from wielding your influence for the good of others in ways that do not violate your conscience, but actually flow from a heart of sincerity. Don't you imagine being used by God to lead someone to a deeper experience of His grace. Imagine the people that you care the most about all experiencing the joy of knowing Christ and following His lead. Imagine the love you have for others growing exponentially. And it actually being the foundation of all that you say and all that you do and how you share and how you lead. Imagine being the servant of Christ that he would be pleased by. In order for us to ever do this, we'd have to do it the way he would. We'd have to share. We'd have to lead. We'd have to teach. We'd have to witness. We'd have to influence all while embodying his love and grace to others. All for the glory of his name. And that's what we want to be about around here. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that we can, as your church, come to you and just take a big sigh of relief this morning that we don't have to choose. We don't have to choose between truth and grace. We don't have to choose between standing for your word and loving other people. We can have both because they are both in their fullest experience in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would take that mindset and shift it now and just invite your inspection. Lord, if there's, if would you Would your spirit begin moving and revealing stuff to us now, Lord? We, every day, make dozens of choices with with when we're going to share something, when we're going to speak up, and when we're going to stay silent. So, Lord, would you reveal to us what our heart is doing in those moments? Would you reveal to us what our motivations are for when we speak out, when we post, when we text, when we write, and the times that we don't? And, Lord, if there's any way that violates... A pure heart. If there's any way that violates a good conscience. If there's any way that doesn't flow from a sincere faith. If there's any way that is not, the goal of it is not love. May we as your church and your people openly repent of that to you this morning. May we turn from it. May we find your grace and forgiveness to be sweet and wondrous once again. Lord, help us to be people of truth and grace. Help us to be people of truth and love. Because we follow the one who is. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Before these guys lead us in one last song, we're gonna give you a couple minutes to spin uh, just between you and the Lord, praying about some things he might have put on your heart this morning. There's some guidance on the screens if you need it, but really this is just your time of response to him.